Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I'm Alexander J. Newell, director of the Magnus Archive podcast and voice of Martin on the show. And with me, I have... Jonathan Sims, uh, though you probably know me better as... Jonathan Sims. (laughs) 
and we are here doing a Q&A session for all of the most asked questions from the fan base and as a way of thanking everyone as well for listening so far. So in that vein, thank you. <laughs> so I'm going to go through these questions and Johnny's never heard any of these before, so we'll see, uh, we'll see what yes. he makes of them. Number one, Johnny, is that your real voice? I've been asked this a lot, actually, and uh, I, there, there are several comments around the internet I have actually stumbled across uh, claiming that I'm putting on a bad British accent. Um, <laughs> and uh, it is, of course, true. Uh, my real name is uh, Earl, uh, Earl <laughs> Big Mac. Uh, I'm from Pennsylvania. <laughs> and uh, no, it, it's my real voice. Uh, I change it a little bit. I like Obviously, I do lower it a bit and uh, go a little bit more, a little bit drier, a little bit more... Academic. Academic, yes, for um, Jonathan. But it is my real voice <laughs> and my uh, real accent. Funnily, no one, no one asks if all of the other characters, their voices are real. No, apparently they, they sound, uh, they sound uh, genuine, even though we've largely conjured them out of meat. <laughs> so... Mm -hmm. How long have you been planning this? Is it something you've always wanted to do? Were you actively seeking an opportunity out for a long time, or did you have the idea more recently? That's sort of a difficult question, I guess, um, because I've been in the back of my mind thinking of horrible things <laughs> for as long as I've been as long as I've been writing most of my short stories. I'd fire off, or the novels I would start and get three chapters in would be horror of some sort. Um, in terms of the Magnus Archives itself, uh, it wasn't actually something I'd planned much until we started doing it. Mm -hmm. When I started working with Alex, he very much said, what do you want to write? Uh, to which my answer was horror anthology, which is how the Magnus Archives started. And then the overarching, the, the conceit that kept it all together very much spiralled off into uh, what we now know as the Magnus Archives. Mm-hmm. With that in mind, how did you specifically get into writing and how did you craft the story? Not in a spoilery sense, but did you start with the main event and work backwards? Have you let it grow over time? Basically, is it like all of the court boards and string that everyone has at home? I'll start with the first question, which is writing has always been sort of where I feel my strength lies. Mm -hmm. So it's always been something that I've tried to do. Uh, and tried to make myself do. There's <laughs> quite a lot of uh, several years where I've done very little except tell people, oh yes, no, I'm I'm a writer. Um, <laughs> I love the process of creating. Uh, I hate the process of actually putting things down on the page, but <laughs> it's what you've got to do. Um, so the answer is always, really. In terms of the story itself, I started by spinning out the central conceit once I'd figured out I wanted this meta-narrative. Mm -hmm. Most of the very early stories are ones that have been brewing for a few years, to be honest. So a lot of what has turned into the meta-plot came from what themes I liked from there, mm -hmm. spinning them out. Then I crafted the ending, yep. uh, as in the ending of season five. I hate series that don't have an end goal. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm 100% about closed arcs mm -hmm. um, and there's no way I was going to sit down and write a sprawling epic metaplot unless I knew where it was finishing Yeah. and since then aspects of the end have shifted slightly with the writing because they always do but 
I still know where it's going. Yeah, like there's a there's a fixed endpoint for this, which is always the goal. Okay, another question for you. Mm-hmm. Do you know exactly where everything will end up in the story, or have you introduced a few threads where you're not sure how they're going to resolve, and just to have it as a throwaway thing that you might use later? The answer to that question largely depends on when in season one you're asking it, to be honest. Uh, right at the beginning, most things were, to one degree or another, casting a line out. Yeah, yeah. I would have a story, there would be a few aspects of it that I quite liked and planned to revisit later, and as season one progressed, linking some of those up gave me the structure to spin out into, I now have virtually the entire story in the entire world Mm -hmm. planned to one degree or another yeah how did you start to work with rusty quill a lot of people don't really know how the organization works were you just friendly beforehand things like that how did you end up working with us there was a car boot sale uh down my road some two years ago and i mean i'd never considered myself the sort of person that would buy a ouija board (laughs) um but no um i perform with a uh, somewhat lunatic um stage show uh called the mechanisms which is a mythic space pirate musical cabaret and most years we do the edinburgh fringe so about two years ago now yeah it was about two years uh alex uh who i sort of knew through a few people vaguely ended up coming to one of our shows and uh, saw it and really liked it yep so when alex started up rusty quill he messaged us and said basically with a open offer would you like to work with rusty quill at all uh, the band as a whole largely because there's no way to produce the sort of thing we do at speed enough to be useful in a podcast you sense could, you could get one episode uh, every yeah, six months maybe, maybe. um <laughs> but uh, i said oh i've been thinking of starting up a, a horror podcast for a while and Alex said, great, it'll need a metaplot. Uh, <laughs> and here we are. Pretty much. How far in advance do you write the podcasts? There's obviously an overarching plot, but when do you flesh it out? Do you just churn them out one at a time? Do you have bits of episodes floating around and put them together? How do they, How do you assemble them? For season one, any given episode will probably have been written somewhere between four to eight weeks before you actually hear it. That sounds about right. Um, With season two, I've actually sat down and planned it all out in a lot more detail, so I now know what the actual episodes are going to be about. Well, ultimately as well, from a production standpoint, I mean, season one was entirely new territory. It was completely exploratory. We didn't know if people were going to like it. So ultimately, there was an element of seeing what worked, I think. Also, for season two, I've been writing a lot more stuff down. Uh, (laughs) Season one was incredibly intricate, but also largely lived entirely inside my head. (laughs) A couple of the episodes which are dreamlike in tone, um, because they were written to be dreamlike, Uh, others are a bit dreamlike in tone, because it was very late at night when they were written. (laughs) (laughs) So this is a follow-on question. How long does it take you to write one story, would you say, end-to-end? In terms of just keyboard time, maybe five to six hours for a first draft and then two hours to edit it and go over. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of actual planning, I will generally have an idea and then be constantly churning it over in the back of my mind for about a week mm-hmm. so that when I finally come to uh, write it, I have a much more complete idea of what's going on and uh, how it's going to shape up. 
So another question here. How do you prepare to record an episode? Alex directs, but what does that involve? They're interested in the technical and the performing aspects of this. So before we get into the technical, on to your side, uh, we are about to record an episode. How do how do you prepare for that beyond just obviously writing some of the content? Well, obviously I've been fasting for a few <laughs> days uh, to purify the blood. Um, to be honest, largely it involves just sitting there and reading the first few paragraphs in the archivist voice to get uh, get my head in the in the right space for actually reading it so from my perspective obviously there's an element of setup involved we use um various amounts of equipment i won't go into here um but once all of the mics and equipment are set up what we'll tend to do is we'll sit down and we'll just run through the episode very quickly and decide if anything unusual has to happen in performance and we'll address how that's happened so changes in voice pitch things like that if there's any soundscaping soundscaping yeah and then beyond that the only other thing that really takes a lot of time with prep is when you have a multicast recording because oh, yeah. that that slows that process down a lot because then you have to sort of go line by line make sure people understand the intent of the lines yeah. how do you say that how do you project that and then we're into more sort of basically the the nuances of it rather than just the sort of get it down, get it recorded. Yeah, the um, last episodes of the first season were easily the most complicated oh, because we yeah. were doing a, I mean, we were doing an actual audio drama rather than <laughs> um, an audio drama-esque anthology series. Yeah. Following on, I feel we've already addressed this a bit. Are there any Magnus bloopers? Has Jonathan Sims ever laughed? No. Ever? No. <laughs> no. Uh, I, I laugh a lot. I laugh... <laughs> uproariously um some might say that i laugh too much um not many no no i've never actually heard it but i assume and they're they dead say, now i assume they say it but uh, in in all seriousness from the production side we do have a few recorded gaffes but we're not intending to release them anytime soon mainly because it's a bit of a mood killer also i'm very sweary in real life um <laughs> like that's that sounds like a joke because i'm a relatively deadpan person, but it's it's not. I'm very sweary, and this is <laughs> meant to have a brackets clean rating on iTunes. So uh, no rude words. I could say bums, maybe, <laughs> but I won't. So again, discussing some more of the production side. When putting together an episode like Hive, how do we get the SFX? What goes into making those SFX? So a lot of our sound effects will come from online archives. I can't recommend enough things like freesound.org and there's a few other sites similar to that. Sometimes if you require a really specific sound, you know, something that you just can't find elsewhere, you go out and you do some foley. Truth be told, that happens less often than you'd think. Like I said, those archives are quite good and you can get quite good at taking a sound and turning it into something that it's not. For instance, I won't tell people how we make the worm sounds, but it just involves a lot of pasta. Lots and lots of pasta. Delicious screaming pasta. In fact, following on from that, have you ever considered your fixation with invasive worms from a Freudian perspective? I'm sure I don't know what you mean. Uh, <laughs> the idea of pulsating, writhing, elongating worms, tunnelling into flesh is... I mean, it's just just good horror, really. I don't know... <laughs> I, I don't know we'll, we'll what you mean. We'll skip past that one. I, 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 I mean, really it's, know what it's nonsense, is. really. Mm. Um, what are your fears? Well, quite a lot, to be honest. Um, I feel that it's very hard to write good horror unless you're writing something that, to one degree or another, scares you a bit. Absolutely. 
Um, if you yourself don't have just a little tingle of fear at the back of your mind when you're writing it, it's probably not as scary as it could be. Um, so a lot of these do come from... They might not be huge fears of mine, but they are things that freak me out to one degree or another. Um, trypophobia, obviously, Oof. is that's, quite that's a significant one. That's the one, one. That we share, um, yeah. Which mm. is where a lot of Jane Prentice comes from. I'd say certainly the episodes that are grabbing people the most, it seems, online are the ones that tend to be quite universal and honestly quite simple. So it'd be things like fear of falling, yep. um, fear of darkness, fear of the stranger. No, exactly. So a lot of these are... It's marrying as universal a fear as you can with the specifics of what scares you. So taking your own fear and making it transferable. Yeah. So you listen to any episode and you can probably glean a, a nugget of what scares me. It's been confirmed that you like M.R. James. So with that in mind, what's your favourite story of his and do you have any other literary inspirations? I mean, it's it, it's called The Magnus Archives. <laughs> the, the, the show is... The show is called The Magnus Archives. It's it's Count Magnus. It's, that's that's why the show is called The Magnus Archives. To be fair, there are others that I'm very fond of uh, from M.R. James. Weirdly enough, I have a really specific soft spot for a school story because it is possibly the most minimalist ghost story uh, I've encountered that's managed to have a really significant effect on me. So... Inspirations other than M.R. James. I've got a real soft spot for old school creepypasta. Who doesn't? Um, when I used to work nights, there'd be some weeks where I didn't fully adjust to the daytime and I'd spend almost a whole week in the dark uh, listening to creepypasta or reading weird blogs or uh, just going through creepy pictures and just working myself into a real state. I mean, interestingly, I remember the first time you pitched the Magnus Archives to us. And you described it as M.R. James meets Creepypasta for a start. And you also referenced ionised yeast. Oh, uh, that's because I... Again, when I was working night shifts, I lived off the the generation of horror podcasting before hours. Mm -hmm. So uh, Pseudopod, who are still going oh, strong, yeah. and the early seasons of No Sleep, Knife Point Horror. And also I used to delve into radio archives. And one of them, from the 1940s, was a show called Lights Out. Uh, and it was very much of the time, but it was mostly sponsored by ionised yeast. And every episode, there'd be like a minute-long, unique ionised yeast advert about how if you're only feeling half alive and you were too old and tired for your job at the war factory, I sure am discouraged. So there you have it, then. The primary influence of the Magnus Archives is wartime horror. It's, it's, it's ionised yeast. If, I mean, I'll be honest, Alex, I've always said that you look remarkably low on vitamin B and iron. Um, you could put on 8, 10 or more pounds of good new flesh. Moving on. Okay, these are some more questions to do with the actual yep, story yep. itself. Why, narratively rather than canonically, mm -hmm. does the Magnus Institute only collate information and not engage with their learnings beyond supplementary clarification investigation? It's largely because the sort of horror stories I want to tell are standalone. Mm. They are the experiences of an individual when confronted with something sinister and inexplicable. 
to actively follow up with the encounters would turn it into... I mean, it would turn it into something that's more along the lines of the X-Files. Yes. Um, which is a, like a very valid and excellent form of horror, but not the one that I'm trying to write. Mm. Also, it's useful from an audience point of view to not need to say, go back and listen to everything or you just won't understand what's going on. Oh, yeah. Another question, same kind of lines. How large is the Magnus Institute as an organisation? There are between 80 and 100 staff in total. Mm-hmm. Um, very few of them are focused on the archives. I think probably the core staff is maybe 40. Okay, now this is a bit of a specific one we mm-hmm. have to drill down to. So, you've been very specific in the Magnus archives about the reasons that Sims is recording on tape, but how does the sound play into this? It's an interesting idea that some things are so fundamentally unnatural that they would cause corruption to recordings of it. But what about the music that plays for the atmosphere? Is that an actual thing that's on the tapes and thus canonical? Or is it just something for the listeners? Now, that's something that I might jump in on a little bit. So yeah, please do. When Johnny originally pitched the Magnus Archives to me, there was a period of testing where we actually ran a few episodes that will never see the light of day. <laughs> and what we were doing is seeing what sounded right. And part of that was to do with the sound of it. So we did versions of the archives uh, without the tape deck, just to test. I didn't like it. I think that it's got a sort of lo-fi charm. Uh, And then we tried doing them with the music, and we found that the music added something. Ultimately, from sort of the directorial standpoint, I've always had it that the music is not part of the actual recordings. Yeah. However, the tape deck, the distortions, the um, sound effects of things actually happening, the voices of the people within there are part of the actual files. The only thing that was added is music, and the main reason for that is it needed something to fill out that sound a little bit and just give it a little bit of pop. Everything that you hear is on the actual tape within the world of the Magnus Archives, except the music. Yeah, yeah. Um, Oh, and just to say, we do not mean to say that there are lost episodes of Magnus out there. It was largely (laughs) the first first few episodes we just did over and over again in various formats. Yeah, we just did multiple permutations, so you've not missed anything, I'm afraid. Okay, now we're heading a bit more into the sort of fan-base-y kind of questions, things to do with that. So with that in mind, what's it like having the ability to interact so closely with your fan base? Would you do it again? It's fascinating gratifying and it it holds me to account (laughs) um i don't think it's even a question of would i do it again um i mean the answer is yes but moreover the way that content is created these days i don't think a creator has an option but to engage with the community that that builds up around what you do unless you deliberately remove yourself. I mean, certainly you've said this to me before, which is that an element of the Magnus Archives was tying yourself to a rock and then throwing (laughs) that rock off a cliff and you've just got to keep writing rope. Yeah, exactly. Um, And the the fans in the community are a big part of that. And I don't want any of that to sound like I don't love the community massively. It's really gratifying to see that something you've created has hooked people. But absolutely, like there's there's an element, though, that um, once you're accountable to those fans, it does help keep exactly. getting that pen to the paper, doesn't it? Exactly, because it's not just me I'm responsible to. Also, it is very useful in terms of writing a, a story like this to see which bits of the mystery, which sort of threads are picked up 
there are, uh, I won't say who, but there are a couple of people on uh, the various sites and message boards that oh, I yeah. keep an eye on because I feel that if I write something and they don't spot it, it's possibly a bit too subtle. Maybe I need to uh, you know, make it a bit more overt in a future episode and others where I'll keep an eye on them in case I've made a mistake somewhere because <laughs> they will let me know. <laughs> Following on from that, another mm -hmm. question to do with something similar. How do you feel about the level of scrutiny that your work gets from listeners? Does all of the checking and fact-checking and so on outweigh the positivity of listening to people on the forums going into their own theories in depth? I mean, that makes it sound like having that level of scrutiny and being called to account when I make a mistake isn't a positive. I mean, it feels a lot like if you're writing a final exam, for instance, and you have somebody standing over your shoulder pointing out whenever you make a mistake. You might give them a look and be startled or, or even annoyed, but it's good because it means that you're not writing unintelligible nonsense. <laughs> uh, and moreover, especially with a show like the Magnus Archives, where everything is very intricate and everything needs to be internally consistent. Yeah. I can't be allowed to make mistakes because that's not fair. It's straight up not fair to ask people to try to figure out a mystery I'm spinning out and then constantly make mistakes, get dates wrong or feed people false information. Do you have any plans to break the mould of your current narrative style? It seems like there would be some difficulty in telling the current arc without more live action style narrative sequences. Yeah, I mean, obviously that question came in before uh, the yeah. finale of season one uh, came out. Generally, as the series goes on, there will be more of that. Mm -hmm. At its core, it will still remain one episode, one statement, one story. Yeah. And the last question we've got, actually, let's try and avoid spoilers. Okay. What would you say is the biggest challenge that is facing you in season two? Balancing horror and mystery. Oh, yes. Um, because <laughs> fundamentally, you see a lot of horror mystery series that start off extremely strong and peter out a bit. Because at the beginning, horror and mystery are fantastic fantastically good together oh yeah because they both rely on the unknown so heavily mm -hmm. uh, and so the unknown feeds the horror and entices the mystery but as it goes on the mystery needs to be it needs to get answers otherwise oh, yeah. you feel cheated whereas the horror needs to stay unknown because if you get all the answers to what the horror is it's no longer scary and if everything stays unknown and horrific then you don't get any answers to the mystery. So I would say the biggest challenge is trying to keep everything unknown and scary while at the same time providing enough answers to the mystery that people are willing to stay around and learn more. And there are answers. You won't learn the answers to everything. Um, there are some small mysteries that will never be known. But a lot of the why, the what, the who, they will in time... <laughs> come to light. So I think that about wraps us up here. Thanks again, Johnny, for all of your time. Um, if you'll just go back into the hole, you can carry on writing all the rest of season to two. Sleep, nope, not for you. But thanks to everyone who's been listening so far. It's, it's completely blown us away, the response that we've had from everyone. We weren't expecting this kind of, of following. Not and even it's, remotely. It's an amazing thing to happen. <laughs> um, but 
If people are able to, please do leave reviews on iTunes and podcast services, write reviews yourselves. That kind of content it makes a massive difference to a smaller operation like us. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter at The Rusty Quill, the subreddits, uh, our forums at the website. Oh, we're also nominated at the moment for a couple of the categories in the Audioverse Awards, mm. um, which are voting is open till the 6th of November for the semi-finals, I believe. Uh, so if you if you get a chance to pop on there and uh, give us a vote, that would be massively appreciated. Again, the response we've had from fans has been amazing, and anything that you're able to do in that would be a huge help to us. And if you cannot wait, if you cannot hold on, if you cannot last without Johnny's sultry tones until the beginning of Season 2, yes. you have actually recorded something with us to stay yes. people over uh, until It you, is the Halloween special for the gaming podcast. Yep. Uh, I'm running Deadlands, which is a horror western setting, which I'm very fond of. It's a lot of fun, and yeah, go over there and listen to it. Do it now. You can find that on all the podcast services that you normally use for Mangus Archives. Just look Rusty Quill Gaming Podcast. And I think that about wraps us up. So thanks again, and we look forward to seeing you again for Season 2. See you then. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everyone, it's Helen here, the voice of Azu, Enola, and Laverne. Today, I'm here to tell you about Woe Begone, a podcast launched on the RQ network. Woe Begone is a weekly horror sci-fi audio drama series about the nature of power and the implications of linear time. Woe Begone follows Mike Walters, who discovers a mysterious and violent online game. What begins as an exploration of an alternate reality game with real-life consequences quickly becomes a search for the technology that makes the game possible. Each episode has a unique soundtrack composed by creator and writer Dylan Griggs. Listen to Woe Begone, spelled woe period begone, wherever you listen to podcasts. Or check out woebegonepod.com for episodes and transcripts. Have fun!
and see you later.